This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. Our passage today is um, Genesis 14, 17-24, and I will be reading in Spanish this morning, and but I will... I will say a birth, the birth number, that way you can follow along in English. Verse 17. A su regreso después de derrotar a Kendorno Lover y a los reyes de que estaban con él, salió a su encuentro el rey de Sol, Sodoma en, en el valle de Sabe, es decir, el valle del rey. Verse 18. Entonces Melquisedec rey de Salem, sacó pan y vino y era sacerdote del Dios Altísimo. Verse 19, y lo bendijo diciendo, bendito sea Abraham del Dios Altísimo, creador del cielo y de la tierra. Verse 20, y bendito sea el Dios Altísimo que entregó a tus enemigos en tu mano y le dio a Abraham el diezmo de todo. Verse 21, Y el rey de Sodoma dijo a Abraham, dame las personas y toma para ti los bienes. Verse 22. Y Abraham dijo el rey de Sodoma, he jurado, Señor Dios Altísimo, creador del cielo y de la tierra. Verse 23. Que no tomaré ni un hilo ni una correa de zapato ni ninguna cosa tuya para que no digas yo Enriquecí a Abraham. Verse 24. Nada tomaré excepto lo que los jóvenes han comido y la parte de los hombres que fueron conmigo, Aner, Skol y Manre. Ellos tomarán su parte. Thank you, Jesus. I love hearing you read in Spanish. What's that word that means most high? Something atissimo? Atissimo. Dios Atisimo. Amen. Well, thank you, worship team. We have been led to the throne room of God today already. And welcome this morning, all of you who are here for the first time, maybe, or after a long absence. We're glad that you're here with us and those who are worshiping online. So, Tim Hansel tells the story, and this is not a clear representation of this leap. It's much more severe than that. But Tim Hansel tells the story of being rock climbing with his son. He doesn't tell us how old the son is, but they're on some pretty serious, serious rocks. And all of a sudden, Tim hears his son yell, Hey, Dad! And he turns around, and his son had said, Hey, Dad, uh, after he had started his leap, right? So, Tim had to do an acrobatic catch. To catch his son, they both ended up on the ground, thankfully not bashed into the boulders. And when he caught his breath, he looked at his son. He said, son, why in the world would you do something like that? He said, because you're my dad. So last week we heard about Abram taking 318 men and maybe a few more. And they chased a four-king army 120 miles and finally caught them and overtook them. And we might say, Abram, why in the world with 318 men would you do something like that? And Abram says, because God is my dad. Well, what we've been seeing 
lately with, with Abram is an upward trend in spiritual growth. And that's what all of us want, right? Amen. We want an upward trend. In fact, spiritual growth is an upward trend. We want, we want spiritual growth and not spiritual regression. And we've seen that with Abram, right? We, he acted with great fear in Egypt before the Pharaoh because of his wife's beauty. He lied about his wife. But then he acted with great faith when he told Lot, you can take anything, anything you see. You take the land you want, it's fine. And then he acted with great courage when he led his household servants and chased an army and then ran them out of the district and carried Lot and all of those who had been captured by this army, brought them back home, right? And so now they're back home. And some would say that Abram's next test, which we're going to talk about today, is his greatest test so far. You say, wait, wait, greater than chasing an army with 318 men and surviving and living to tell about it? Yes, this test today is more significant in Abram's life. Now, there's a greater test coming. You know what that one is. But this is huge. Let's look at this passage under two main points. Melchizedek's blessing and Abram's faith. The first point will be the longer. So Abram returned with... Uh, his army triumphant, having risked his life to save Lot's and the other captives. And they're met by two men, right? The, the scripture tells us there's two men that meet them. The king of Sodom and the king of Salem, Melchizedek. Now, we know who the first guy is, right? Uh, we, he's a pagan king of a wicked city. This, this city is so wicked that God is going to destroy it and almost every single person in it, including the king of Sodom. And so we'll talk more about him later, his offer to Abram. But who is this mysterious man, Melchizedek? Well, I want Beth Costello to come up now. She's going to explain from the Bible study. Where did this... I'm just kidding. <laughs> Shiver. Just went down her spot. Where did this guy come from? Who is he? What's he all about? Before we look at the text... And weave in Psalm 110 and Hebrews 7, because these all three, all three texts work together to explain Melchizedek. Let me address the mild controversy surrounding him. I'm kind of calling Mel to save time. Some say Mel is a Christophany. Christophany, big word that simply means a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. So this was Christ before he was born as a baby in Bethlehem, coming as a man to uh, appear to Abram. And part of the reasoning for this, people who believe this, point to Hebrews 7 where it says he has no beginning. No genealogy, neither beginning of days nor end of life. Some explain that as saying that simply writing to the Hebrews who were all about genealogy and wanted to know who this king, who, where did this guy come from and who was his mama, who was his daddy, who was his grandparents. The writer of Hebrews is saying this guy, we don't know where he came from. Okay? But if he was the pre-incarnate Christ, then he was Christ. The word, the other reasoning they say is that he's the second person of the Trinity, just like the, the fourth man in the fiery furnace may have been. Remember that guy? Or when we get to Abram, when the two angels, actually three men come and meet with Abram to tell them about having a baby, the, the third man stays around to say to Abraham, he says, you know, shouldn't I tell him what I'm getting ready to do? And the idea is that this was the pre-incarnate Christ telling Abraham about the destruction of Sodom. Again, we can't say that uh, for sure. 
So they point to, set to, to Hebrews 7 primarily. That's one argument. The other argument is that this was a real man, a real Canaanite king, a Gentile, because there were no Hebrews except for the people of God. Abram was the first Hebrew, I guess you, you could say that. And so this was a Canaanite king in a place called Salem, and so he was a type of Christ. Okay, this is an important theme in Scripture. We've talked about this in our theology class we had a couple of years ago on Sunday mornings. A type of Christ is simply an anticipation of Christ, something or someone that points toward Christ. And Hebrews is all about that, right? Jesus is the, is the better sacrifice. Jesus is the better priest. Jesus is the you know, better, uh, the whole thing. He's better than Moses, better than the law. So they would say, it also says without father or mother of genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, resembling the Son of God. And the word there in the Greek simply means to be made like, to be similar. Not the same thing, but similar. Uh, he is a type of Christ because he unites the office of priest and king. This is the only time we see this in the Old Testament. There is no other man in the Old Testament who is both priest and king. Like this guy. And who is priest and king in the New Testament? Jesus, right? So, like Christ, he unites those offices. He's called by Moses, priest of God most high. He's a type of Christ because he, Psalm 110 and Hebrews 7 both tell us that Jesus, our high priest, did not come from the Levitical order. Right? In order to become a priest in the Old Testament, you had to be what? A Levite. Right, the Levites were the that was the the ironical blessing came from the Levites. The priests were Levites, and Hebrews seven says, you know, the, the the Bible tells us nothing about priests who came from the line of Judah. Where did Jesus come from? Judah, right? So Jesus came from Judah, and so then the writer says this. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, becoming a Levite, being a Levite, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So part of the understanding is this guy Melchizedek was setting up the priestly order, if you will, that would last forever, of which there are only two people in that priestly order, Melchizedek and Christ. And Melchizedek simply pointed to the true priest king, who was Jesus. So was Melchizedek the pre-incarnate Christ, or was he a man who lived in Canaan? You know what? It doesn't really matter which one you choose. You can choose to believe either one. This is not a doctrine to build a church on. It's not a doctrine to separate fellowship over. It's not a doctrine to argue about. We can have interesting discussions about it. But here's the thing. What's most important in this story is not who Melchizedek is. What's most interesting and what's most important, critical for us to understand, is what Melchizedek is doing in this story and how Abram responds to him in this story. Those are the important things. So let's major on those things this morning. So who is this man and what does he do? First, he came from Salem with bread and wine. We're told that. It's not Winston-Salem. That's a great city. I know somebody who came from there. But the city, the city that will become... You came from Winston-Salem too? That will become Jerusalem, right? 
And his name means the, the uh, king of righteousness, Melchizedek, and he comes from the place of peace. Jerusalem, Salem means peace. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace, pointing to the Christ. And he brings refreshment to the exhausted warriors upon their, their return home. They've just traveled at least 160 miles to get back to where they came from. And they were exhausted, and he brings refreshment to them. But not just any refreshment, he brings bread and wine. Just as Jesus will do in the upper room with his disciples before they face the greatest trial of their life, and he faces the greatest trial of his life. And we're going to celebrate him facing that trial and conquering sin and death as we take communion this morning. So he came with bread and wine. Second, we, we see he blessed Abram. Now, this is important. He says, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. He's blessing Abram. And remember, the greater bless, blesses the lesser. That's the principle in Scripture. Uh, you know, we, we, we see that in Hebrews 7. It says, It's beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. So the priest of God Most High blessed Abram. And if you look at his blessing, you can see what he's doing here. I think what he's doing is he's confirming what Abram has already heard from God in Genesis chapter 12. Remember that passage? Where God said to Abram, he blessed Abram, and he said, I will bless you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. Make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So the priest king's blessing, Melchizedek, what's he, what's he doing here? He's simply adding another anchor bolt into the foundation of Abram's faith. And as we read scripture, that's what God does for us as well. As we read it and we study it and God gives us understanding of it, it adds anchor bolts into the foundation of our faith so that we do not turn away from the truth. Third, he blessed God. And you say, well, wait a minute, you just said the inferior or the superior blesses the inferior. So maybe the better word here is that he, he praises God. He, he worships God. He, he exalts God before Abram. And, and he says, look at the words he says. He says, God most high. Blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Now, first he confirms to Melchizedek, hey, Melchizedek, this is who you are. You've been blessed by God. Melchizedek, this is who God is. He has you in his hand. He delivered your enemies. Oh, yeah, you went into battle. You took your men. That was a great act of courage, but it was God who delivered you. He gives to Abram, I think, the greatest gift he could give. He gives him a vital reminder and an admonition of who he is and says, look, that's what we need to hear today from this passage. We need to walk out of here having understood better who God is for us as well, just as he was for Abram. Think about it. Abram had just come off a great victory. Think about the mountaintop that he was on, right? I mean, it was exhilarating. These guys had routed this huge army, and they've gotten all these captives, and they brought them back, and they're back home now, and they were on the mountaintop. They were at a spiritual high. And you know what, saints? That's when we're the most vulnerable, isn't it? It's when we're the most vulnerable, when we're feeling really good about, you know, that's when pride 
and greed and then complacency can settle in. We're most vulnerable at those times when we have seen prosperity. Adversity sometimes draws us, pushes us closer to the Lord. Prosperity makes us back off and say, hey, God, I'm good. I got this, you know, I'm good. Did you see, did you see what I did to those guys? Did you see, did you see that route? And so Abram was in this place, perhaps, where he was, where he was uh, feeling good about himself. You know, it can happen with any of us. We find success in our job or in our talent or whatever, and we start reading our own press clippings, so to speak, and we start thinking, you know what? I, I really am pretty special. You know, and I, I can't think of another person that's my equal. You start thinking like that, you need, you need to run to the cross, right? You need to run to the cross. You know where you also need? The place when, when, isn't it funny that when we're the lowest, we're in the valley, we're in despair, we're despondent, we're depressed, we hide ourselves from the church. And then when we get to the place where we're big and we're mighty and we're prosperous and we own everything in the town, we remove ourselves from the church. Because you know what? I don't need those guys. I got it going on, right? And those are the times and every other time in between when we most need the Christian family. We most need our brothers and sisters. We need somebody who can look us in the face and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're not all that in a bag of donuts. Let me explain to you, it was God who did that. You you got this great business going on? Thank God for that, right? Alan Ross writes that Melchizedek had found a true spiritual brother. I mean, Abram had found a true spiritual brother in Melchizedek, one who believed in the spirit God who created matter. You believe in that God? Amen? The sovereign God who had given every one of us victory if we have it. Everybody said amen. The true God who promised Abram and us blessing. Amen. So the priest inspired the patriarch. The church encourages and builds up the Christian. said it before. The Bible knows nothing of unchurched Christians. So the local church is where we need to be. And so Abram heard that from Melchizedek. He heard that. Uh, that encouragement, that, that, that praise to God. And so what does he do? Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek. Hey, if you're keeping score on first mentions, here's another one. First mention in the Bible of a tithe. Remember the offering that Cain and Abel gave, we, didn't, we weren't told that they gave a tithe. It just simply says they brought an offering to the Lord. This is the first time that someone gave a tithe. Now look, here's the question. Did Abram tithe from the spoils Of the victory, or did he tithe from everything he owned? I tend to believe, and we don't know, we can't make a doctrine on it. I tend to believe he tithed to Melchizedek everything he owned. Because he had he he had heard from God at this moment. God really does have you. The promises of God for you are real. They're true. You can trust him completely, just like you did with the land and you gave the best a lot. You trusted him with your life and you survived. God, God kept, you can trust him with everything you own, Abraham. Remember we talked about the abundance and scarcity mentality a couple weeks ago? Scarcity mentality means that, you know, if Brad gets something and I don't get it, then he, he's got an advantage and I need to compete with Brad because he's got more than I do. That's a scarcity mentality that, that, that I, that's built on fear. But the abundance mentality is God owns the whole world and what he's given me, I thank him for. And what he's given to Je- Je- uh, Jeremy, I thank him for because we're not competing with one another. We're subject to God. God, God owns it all, even the breath in my lungs right now. And so I believe that Abraham 
uh, at this moment responded to Melchizedek's spiritual blessing over him with material blessing. Abram is growing in faith. He's growing in believing that God really will do all that he promised. He's growing in trusting God completely with everything he has. And, and, and he does it by giving a tenth. Is giving God to God and God's work important on the earth? It was to Abram. This leads us to Abram's faith, Abram's response. As I said earlier, the military victory was a great test. But a greater test for Abram comes right here. Because remember the king of Sodom came out first, and then kind of Moses kind of goes off of him and says, let me tell you about Melchizedek, right? And then we come back to the king of Sodom. And what does he do? Look at verse 21. You read that again. Verse 21. I'm in Romans. Wait a minute. Let me get back here to Genesis. Verse 21. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. So what's the big deal about that? What's the test? I mean, that seems reasonable, doesn't it? I mean, on the face of it, it seems reasonable. Abram doesn't want those people. I mean, these people are people. They're sovereign people. They have their own lives. He's not going to take them into his own household. So if they belong to Sodom, he's going to give them back to Sodom. But the king is saying, you, you take the goods. I'll take the people. You take the goods. You know, the, the, the saying back then, and still is, to the victor goes the spoils. So it was the custom in those days that a great general wins the battle. He gets to keep the spoils. He can divide them among his army if he wants to. But he has control over the spoils. But Abram, Abram knew two things, first of all. Abram knew that the king and Sodom was wicked. Abram knew that God owned everything, including him and all of his stuff. And Abram knew that if he obeyed the king at this moment, he would take, be taking glory away from God and honor from God and putting it, putting it on this wicked king. He looked him in the eyes and he refused his offer completely. He speaks Melchizedek's blessing here, almost verbatim. First he says, I have lifted my hand to the Lord. In a courtroom, when someone lifts their hand, their right hand, what are they doing? They're making a, a promise, right? And, and, and Abram has said, I've made a promise to God. I've made a covenant with God because he made a covenant with me. I've lifted my hand to God. And then he says, God most high, just like Melchizedek, possessor of heaven and earth. Here's the important spiritual principle that we learn from Abram in this text. The greatest test for, for us is not going to be some physical battle that we face. Those could be great tests. We go through great challenges when we're in a physical battle. But the greatest test is when we choose to trust God with everything, including our lives. And Abram, at this moment, is, is, is showing us that spiritual victory starts with knowing who we are and whose we are. In order to avoid the temptation the world offers us every single day, wrapped up in a pretty little bow, right? We have to remember who we are and whose we are. That we are not servants of the world. 
We're not here just to see how much stuff we can pile up. We're here to serve and honor the Lord God. Abram says, I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that's yours, lest you should say, I made Abram rich. Was Abram rich? Everybody said, yes, he was. He was wealthy. What's he saying here? Who made him rich? It was the Lord. It was God who gave him victory on the battlefield, but the the subtle threat came from this man, the king of Sodom. Alan Ross writes that, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Alan Ross writes, I didn't have this on the slide, that the king's offer was one that would confuse worldly benefits and divine blessing. Here's the question we must answer for ourselves. When is something a blessing from God, and when is it just a temptation from the world? Do we need to know that? Every single day. And you know how we learn it? By making sure we're eating solid food. Raise your hand if you eat solid food. How many ate solid food this morning? Okay, good. Some of you fasting breakfast. I get that. Solid food here is the word of God. I love this verse in Hebrews. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. There's a battle for our souls every day, and the battle a lot of times is over whether we will recognize this is a blessing from God. I'm going to pursue that, or this is a temptation from the world. I'm not going to pursue that. You know, when we were first, when Cindy and I were first married, and this is not my text, but I remember I was in a play, gallery players, we used to do some, I used to do some acting back in those days, and so I was in this gallery player show, and there was a guy in the show who owned this, this insurance company that was very successful, and we, we hit it off, we were talking, you know, uh, backstage a lot, and he was telling me about his business, and I was telling him about my life and whatever, and I'm getting ready to get married, I, I think we were doing um, Camelot, we were in the show Camelot, and he said, you know what, I'm looking for people like you. I want you to come work for me, and I'm going to pay you this much, and you're going to have this, these kinds of benefits. I mean, it was incredible. I was, at that time, I think I was working the Times News for $13,000 a year, right? And this guy was offering me a, a bunch of money and a bunch of opportunities, but God had called me to preach when I was a teenager. I ran from that in college. I met Cindy. He called me back to that, and he said, I've got my hand on you. This is what I want you to do. So when that guy came to me with that offer, we talked about it. It was so tempting because we won't have to worry about a thing. We're going to make all this money. We can buy the house we want. You know, we're living in this little one-room, one-bedroom apartment downtown Burlington. But I knew this is a temptation from the world. This is not a blessing from God. Now, look, if, if you're offered a good job and good benefits, I'm not saying that's always a temptation from the world. You have to discern that. That's where that comes in. Hearing the word of God saying, this is the way, walk you in it. Right? And we hear that from the word. The word is a lamp unto our feet and a what? A light unto our path. That reminded me of the story. It's a true story about um, blind people. Blind people, they can't see being trained to do slalom skiing. What? That can't be a good idea. I mean, what could possibly go wrong, right? So it's happened. And so they train them on the flats, 
how to respond to the sighted skier's commands. When I say left, you turn left immediately. When I say right, you turn right immediately. And once they've got that down, hearing and obeying immediately, then they take take them up on the slope. We're talking about serious slopage here. And you're going down this mountain, and you've got to go around these, what do they call them, gates or whatever. And the sighted skier, the guy in the front, is yelling to the guy behind him who can't see spit. He can't see a thing. He's saying, left, (laughs) and the guy better turn left right then, right? And so here's the thing. It's either going to be complete trust and success or catastrophe. And that's kind of the way life is, isn't it? Complete trust, and Abram said to Sodom, this is not from God. I'm trusting God. He's my father. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm going with God. Abram trusted God's word completely. And I like what Kent Hughes wrote here. This is the great continental divide in our lives as believers. Do we really, do we really trust his word? Distrust will implode us, shrink us, compact us, reduce us, and hermetically seal us in the smallest compass of self. (laughs) But if we truly believe God's word, that will enlarge our souls, not just in generosity and opening our hands, but in moving us to sacrifice for the welfare of others to be like Jesus. So God asks you and me this morning, why in the world would you trust me and serve me with all your heart and commit to a local church and love and serve and give and grow there and go into all the world to make disciples who will do the same? And we answer, because you are our Father, let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning for Abram, this man of faith. But we're thankful mostly for you, the God who gives faith, the God who rescues us from our enemies, the God who gives us what we need and sometimes even what we want, the God who gives us life and breath and strength in our bodies and sits in our minds so that we can do what you want us to do and call, go where you call us to go. I know there's some in here that are even considering going to a place where maybe they'd lose their life for the sake of the gospel. And Lord, you call men and women to do that as well. But you call all of us to serve you, whether we cross the ocean or not, you call us to serve you right here, right where we are, laying down our lives for you, trusting you, loving you, and giving to you. Thank you that you've given first to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.